0: Welcome to Mornings with Mike Public Safety Today Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information Be a part of the show For more information at any time Please visit www.tapsty.org Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Pazesny Good morning, folks. This is Mike with Public Safety today, and today's lesson is about hostage negotiations and the crisis intervention aspect of hostage negotiations using more intervention strategies. And We already talked about communication techniques, now we're going to talk about containing the scene. As in all other law enforcement operations, safety is the foremost consideration. And remember that one of the things we did if we followed the six steps of crisis intervention, the first thing is to define the problem, the second one is to make sure that there is safety involved. And part of the safety part of this, if we kind of redefine things in the hostage negotiation role, is to contain the scene. So in a hostage negotiation, or a hostage situation, there are usually inner and outer perimeters that are set up around the hostage scene. There's a command post, which is established usually in the inner perimeter. And even though it may appear to the hostages that the authorities are confused and disorganized, uh, there is usually all kinds of stuff which is going on behind the scenes, which is out of the purview of any of the hostage takers or hostages being able to witness what's going on. So, there is a tremendous amount of very extensive, very complex, and very coordinated things that are going on uh, behind the scene. And in containing the scene, one of the things that you want to do is to project the appropriate image. So you want to keep those things in the background. Gathering information is another thing which is done um, in, in, as a part of the intervention process. The most important and time-sensitive information that the negotiator needs is a profile of who the HT is. You know, when we talk about gathering information, that's critical. Who is this person? Who are their close friends? Who are their family? Who are their relatives? Uh, what kind of criminal history record information file do they have? Uh, do they have a psychiatric record? Are they obtaining professional help of some kind? Uh, is professional help available to you For them in the event that you need to speak with them does the HT have any kind of specialized skills do they know about weapons or explosives or electronics can they fly or drive or operate any kind of special equipment do they belong to some kind of a specific religious sect or uh, or order of some kind or maybe some organized gang or terrorist groups Um, what are their deviations you know do they have some things that are unique to them in the way that uh, uh, their sexual preferences are they substance abusers You know, are they having any major issues at this point in time insofar as uh, money or their love life uh, or their addictions? Are they on parole or probation? Are they on criminal justice supervision? That kind of thing. Then we take a look at the next piece of information. Once we get, once we understand who the HT is, we, we turn our attention to the hostages. You know, are there any hostages really in there at all anyway? You know, if so, how many are there? How old are they? What are their genders? What's their emotion, emotional state are how intelligent are these people uh, as presumptuous as that may sound uh, you know different people in, in different uh, phases of their life and with different mental capacities will react differently to being taken as a hostage do they have a potential for aggression you know is there a potential that somebody in there is uh, is a, a a type a personality that's going to try to organize everybody is there very important is there anybody in there who has Uh, special medical needs, who has prescription drugs they have to take, are they diabetics possibly, somebody who has to take medications on a regular basis. Uh, Are any of the hostages related to the HTs, or is everybody in there just complete strangers? And then the third piece of information that you try to get together is information that concerns the hostage site itself. You know, what are the best observable positions that are there? What's the best approach and escape routes to there? Uh, where are the telephones? Where are the means of communication and how many different means of communication are there? What's, what's the layout? What's the floor plan? How many rooms and obstacles are there? What are the ventilation ducts? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. What are the access points to food and water and toilet facilities? So all of that information needs to be brought together. A lot of times the fire department can be helpful in that because in many communities the fire department goes and does pre-planning on fires in commercial structures. And so they already know where the electrical rooms are. They usually have a basic drawing of the building through the planning and zoning department. Hopefully not too many walls have been moved in the the process without having uh, been uh, recorded with the planning department uh, and um, and so this information can be critical when it comes to being able to, uh, to uh, make a forced entry. The next thing is stabilizing the situation. The initial tasks of the hostage negotiator are to contain and stabilize whatever the situation is within that that first crisis uh, point of the hostage situation. Um, the negotiator's first goals are to calm that perpetrator down build rapport with the HT, uh, trying to do some kind of maybe a low-key counseling approach that uses reflective listening skills, lets the HT know that the negotiator understands how strongly he or she feels, doesn't argue about them whether they're right or wrong for what it is that they did, but just identifies with them in the situation that they're in. Excuse me. It's important at this point in time for the negotiator to stay calm especially during the very opening uh, moments where they make contact with the H.T., the tone of their voice, the choice of the words they use, their facial expression, if that can be seen, any kind of hand gestures, their body posture. The negotiator has to model calmness. They have to transfer this model of calmness over to the hostage taker, who may be in a very aggravated mental state. This reassurance from the negotiator to the HT is part of what will bring the emotional environment down to a level at which things can be handled better. The negotiator needs to allow the HT the opportunity to vent. We talked about that before and and how important venting is to provide a number of different positive outcomes. The the HT's continued talking will permit the negotiator to identify more about the HT's mental state, any personal problems that they have, and to assess the general atmosphere of the overall situation. So the communication that's coming out of that hostage taker is critical to being able to understand both short and long-term goals and objectives of managing the hostage situation that will be realistic. It's also very difficult for the hostage taker to remain emotionally charged and aggravated, and at the same time have long involved conversations with the negotiator about his or her problems. One of the best ways to keep that perpetrator engaged is, like any other crisis intervention situation, and that is to ask open-ended questions. There's a there's a there's a caveat to this though, in that the negotiator has to be careful not to intrude on the hostage taker's psychological space. You know, you can't really say... You don't want to get involved in causal dynamics that will cause the HT to become hostile and agitated. You know, um, you don't want to talk about their mother and father putting them down in life and trying to show that they're the big man now. You don't want to do things like that that are going to aggravate the situation. You don't want to provoke them. So arguing, making demeaning remarks rejecting their demands you know, outright, uh, any kind of sudden surprises, those things are exactly the wrong things to do. Any signs of increased agitation or aggression on the part of the HT need to be monitored and noted, and your actions changed immediately. Any disjointed speech, uh, speech which is sped up, um, if you can see them and see flared nostrils or uh, shaking of fists or pounding or things that appear as though there's a lot of anger taking place are all obvious indicators that the negotiator needs to cool the situation down a little bit. Maybe ask questions that are completely irrelevant ir- irrelevant to the situation, um, so that the perpetrator is kind of cut off guard and you know talks about something that that is non aggravating to them by by being a good crisis interventionist and seeing the problem through the hostage taker's eyes the negotiator then tries to build rapport with the perp so if you use owning statements i statements you can establish a relationship with the hostage taker things like you know i can sure understand that man i put in a lot of hours i do good work but you know my my boss just doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't care You know, sure, seems like nobody's grateful for anything around here. Those kinds of things. Um, You know, is that the way you feel about your job? Tell me about your job. How do you feel about your job? Uh, Genuine, be genuine about what it is that you communicate about your own life to the hostage taker and establish that relationship. And instigate reciprocal disclosure on the part of the hostage taker so that you can learn what it is that might be bothering them. Remember that the goal of this situation as a crisis interventionist is not a tactical conclusion. The goal of this situation is to save lives. And by listening and reflecting and restating things back to the hostage taker, 95% of the incidents across this country result with nothing adverse happening to the people who are involved. Um, so by you pacing the dialogue, and being very purposeful in what you're saying, it works in your favor. The hostages might be getting all depressed about it. The hostages might be irritated that things are just dragging on and on and on. It's like, oh my gosh, why don't you people get things over with? Well, then that's fine. You know, The fact that they're not going to be your friends and send you birthday cards years down the road is, is their problem. You as the professional understand that time will wear down the hostage taker's resources faster than it does yours. The lack of sleep, uh, hunger, thirst, the tension, the anxiety that uh, eventually will wear and wear on them, and your calm reasonableness uh, will be part of that problem-solving process that helps you to break an impasse between you and them. So a good negotiator is just like a good crisis interventionist. You restate the hostage taker's ideas back to them, that helps to clarify both to the HT and to you what's really being said. It helps to build rapport with the HT because then he or she knows that you're actually listening to them and they know that their words actually mean something and that they count for something insofar as you're concerned. So then you can persuade the hostage taker to give up. You know, the ultimate mission of, your, of you is to persuade the HT to give up without harming anybody, right? So there's there's a number of guidelines that we need to go through to um to start working in that direction, you can start by negotiating smaller issues foodstuffs, medicines, cigarettes, those kinds of things. You have to make it clear that the h t doesn't get anything without giving something in return and This is a time honored tested kind of thing which is a part of the process and then once a deal is made, then the h t can you know another deal could be made with the h uh, t but this this technique is used to be able to work your way toward being able to get a commitment with these folks. The less attention you pay to the hostages in this dialogue, generally the better. Continuous reference to the hostages exaggerates the HT's sense of importance of those hostages, may turn his or her attention to them, and steer the dialogue away from the resolution, which has got to be what you focus on. The only time that there is an exception to that rule, for the most part, Uh, is when there has been an attempt by the negotiator to foster the Stockholm Syndrome. Any action that the negotiator can instigate to emphasize the human qualities of those hostages to the HT needs to be considered. For for example, if it has seen that the HT has had the hostages put bags over their heads, which dehumanizes those hostages. You need to work your way through that because once that bag is put over their heads, it's much more easy for the hostage taker to regard them as non-human and to go ahead and kill them or or do something else to them. It's very important that the negotiator attempts to make those captives appear as human as possible to break through uh, those kinds of things. The, The negotiator should try to convince the hostage takers that their hostages are actually useless in the whole situation. You know, you can use closed-end questions to kind of force these yes or no answers that don't allow for a lot of emotional diatribe to steer them in a direction where that's what it is that they consider to be the case. There is a time that will come where the negotiator has to clearly state to the hostage taker what the facts are and to give the HT their conclusions. Uh, Some things can't be negotiated. You can't negotiate firearms. You can't negotiate exchange of hostages. You can't usually negotiate drugs. Uh, if if drugs are part of the negotiation package, then it's highly recommended that a physician get involved to give you some idea of what the effects might be before they become a bargaining tool. Usually friends and family and clergy, a lot of things that you see in the movies, a lot of times those those folks should never be brought to the scene. A lot of times... Uh, they don't want You don't want to bring them to the scene because the hostage taker may kill one of those people. It may be one of those people that lit the fuse that started this whole situation to begin with. So you, as the negotiator, need to know clearly what the feelings of the HT are as they relate to these people. And you need to be cognizant in the event that you have a mental health case that the HT may be trying to manipulate you so that they can then get their sights trained on this person that they wanted to do away with. in the beginning. This is why you have to be that middle person who can argue both sides of just about any point. You as the negotiator have to be taken seriously by the HT. You should be able to be open-minded enough to argue against some of the more unimportant points of the authority's position as a way of being able to show how open-minded you are to the HT. So if they feel that you're in the middle and you are more fair, then they may take more seriously the direction that you try to give them later on in, in the negotiations um, program. So the, a combination of delaying compliance, uh, minimizing counter arguments, promoting active listing with the HT are excellent techniques when you're negotiating, uh, negotiations get down to the finish line. If you delay compliance, the negotiator proposes – Um, with the H.T. that they not make up his or her mind immediately. You know, you tell them, well, think it over. See whether or not uh, that they will see it your way at some future point. Maybe break off the communications for a couple of minutes. Give them an idea to kind of think things over. Immediately, you should follow up by offering some kind of weakened counterargument to the proposition that you just gave. And those counterarguments compromise and weaken the HT's own arguments. So what you're actually doing is you're building in a backup plan where you have an argument, you propose it, Then you say, well, that might not work. You offer counter-arguments. The HT has already come up with counter-arguments, but now you've undermined the counter-arguments they've already spent some time investing themselves in, and your counter-arguments are ones that they might actually use. So passive listening, when you're in the problem-solving process, uh, is not going to help very much. Active listening will help. The PERP should then be asked to think about their position of what the consequences might be, and then you work through collaborating this to a successful end. Um, it might seem irrational to do this, but the negotiator should agree with the demands that may in reality benefit the authority's position because those points may then be used to garner concessions on down the road. It might be You know, where you say something like, well, you know, you want a car instead of a bus, but I don't think my boss is going to like it. So it appears as though you reluctantly agreed with the demands of those people who are above you, quote, unquote, who are the, quote, unquote, authorities. Uh, But then later on down the road, that enables you to be able to uh, compromise that down and, and to work in favor of the H.T., you should refrain from making suggestions unless it's absolutely necessary. You want the HT to be in a decision-making mode. That that HT is the one who has to make movement. And in the process of them having to make decisions, that helps them when we talk about that, that disequilibrium thing again and being immobile as a part of being in a crisis situation. You working with them and helping the hostage taker to make the decisions helps them to reestablish a state of equilibrium and helps to improve the their mobility. Two positions that you as a negotiator must take that may seem in opposition to the goal are keeping in the hostage taker's hopes alive and realizing the hostage taker may have to be allowed to escape. The perpetrator must feel up until the time that all the hostages are released, that he or she has not undertaken whatever they have done in vain and that there is some hope of this one way of sustaining that assurance to them is by continually reinforcing the hostage taker every time they hear she gives on in on a point and by you being a little bit more directive and helping them give in on some points then that reality seems to exist all the more when the surrender is ready to occur then ego shouldn't get in the way from either the police or the hostage taker. Letting the hostage taker feel like they've won a victory might be extremely important. If providing the HT cigarettes to give up, to get the deal done, and to give the hostage taker a feeling of getting something out of the deal, you know, is what is needed, well then just do it, because not doing it just hinders the process and drags everything out. If the ego of the field commander or some other position of authority gets in the way, well, you know, maybe maybe it should be clarified that that's not helpful to getting things done that need to get done. Maybe that's where we need to put some politics to the side and make sure that some people understand uh, a greater picture. So that takes care of that aspect of the intervention process. When we come back, we're going to take a look at some closing uh, arguments about hostage techniques, the crisis worker as a consultant, and what to do if you're put in the role of the negotiator. So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. You may have a degree, but do you have what it takes? Online and field training available now from tapsty Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapsteen.org. Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now.